Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Hallier. And Brad, it's uh, not a lot going on this week, kind of on the local level, as far as high school and college are certainly a, a lot to talk about. I thought we'd kind of start with maybe a, a little high school in review here, uh, maybe some of the surprise teams, some of the teams maybe we've seen that we think are going to be teams to to really have to be dealt with come substate time so let's kind of let's kind of start there tonight and and see what what did you see most teams got about five maybe six games in um, before the Christmas break who did you see that impressed you or who maybe that was uh, has some concerns that we thought was going to be really good yeah how about the Hutchinson Salthawks man yeah I mean, the, the, the boys are 4-0 right now, and their margin of victory right now, Scott, it leads the, uh, at least in 5A West, yeah, 5A West, they lead the entire 5A half of the, of the substate in margin of victory. Now, I know that the, the caliber of competition hasn't been that strong. They swept the Salina schools. They beat a, uh, they beat a, uh, a, a rebuilding Beeler team, and then they beat Goddard. They'll have a pretty good test on Tuesday against campus, and then they have a kind of the meat to their schedule after that. But, uh, you know, Hutchinson high off to a four and start on the boys side. And, um, you know, on the girls side, they're doing pretty well as well. I know that they, uh, let me bring up the, the standings here quick, like, but, uh, on the, on the girls side, they're four and as well. And kind of like the boys, they're one of the top teams in margin of victory. So, uh, for, for me, that's been kind of one of the standouts right there has been, uh, the salt Hawks. Yeah, definitely. I was a, a bit surprised myself, of course. Um, uh, Josie McLean is part of that um, girls team, of course, transferring over from Nickerson. I know they had a young team last year. Um, she's a senior. What, what, what's the rest of the upperclassmen like for this uh, Lady Salt Hawks? Well, they did. I think they only had like, what, two seniors last year, but they did lose their point guard. So that definitely was a, a bonus to bring Josie McLean over. So yeah. I think I think they, they just got a lot of athleticism out there. And that's the same thing as the boys, just a lot of athletes out there. They can get up and down the floor. Uh, they can beat you off the dribble. They move the ball really well. I think, uh, you know, I, I again, uh, for, for both the boys and the girls, the caliber of the schedule hasn't been overly strong yet. But, you know, a, a good team beat, beats those teams easily. That's what they've done so far. Yeah, I think maybe I'm, I'm just starting to scan some of the sub-state standings. Um, I don't know why we would be surprised. Maybe a little surprised about the Haven boys. Uh, looking at the Lions sub-state, they are 6-0. and uh, Cheney, well, I'm going to talk about Cheney in a little bit. They're 5-1. and one. I had them in Sterling last week. Heston's at 4-1. and one. But how about Haven off to a 6-0 a, a and o start? We thought maybe, well, I think we always think that maybe it was a l- little bit of a rebuilding year. And lo and behold, there they are, undefeated. Yeah, I, I love Lonnie Paramore's system, Scott. I mean, I, I just absolutely love how Lonnie Paramore's teams play. You know, they play that full-court trapping defense. He usually goes – eight or nine deep because of the the style they, they kind of have to go that deep uh they, they've got guys who can shoot i like that brant sipe guy in the middle i mean he's really slimmed down and uh, he's a big old big old body in there uh they, they and they've got guys who can shoot and they've got you know nash ray at the point he's kind of a classical point guard kind of like dewan harris he's not going to score you a ton but he's going to handle the ball he's going to cause problems on defense uh yeah it just seems like uh, we say this all the time scott it seems like every year you think that the haven boys and girls oh they might be a little bit down this year and they're not they, they have six and zero already for haven 
Yeah, I'm looking on now. I just flipped up the girls' standings. Since the girls are six and zero on the Haven side, um, you know they. I think a lot of people, you know, they lose. Um, um, help me with the first name of the Roper girl, uh, Reese Roper. Reese Roper from last year that was kind of you know the point guard, the leading scorer, and all they've done is is raced out to a six and zero start as well. Champions of the the Kingman tournament, we saw them there. Um, yeah, and I'm trying to look. Their closest game has been five points, and that was to 5A Great Bend, who they beat over in the championship game of the Kingman Tournament. So, um, sneaky good. The Haven girls are off to a great start. You know, sometimes when you lose that that catalyst like Reese Roper, uh, it can go one of two ways. You know, you may not have anybody capable of filling the shoes, or you just might have – you know, the other girls just realize, you know, that we have to step it up now. We don't have that, you know, the, the leadership and we don't have that regular point guard anymore. I think that's kind of what's happened out there for the Haven girls. And again, they've got some athletes out there. They got some shooters. They got some size in the paint. This is this is going to be a good team, Scott. Both of them are going to be really good, I think. Yeah, I think we'll, I think we get to see them a little bit later in the year. So that will be um, a lot of fun um, in two A. Of course, I mentioned Cheney. I had a that Sterling Cheney boys game that was part of the uh, Central Plains Heart of America Challenge. It was a boys game only on uh, this past Friday night. Well, what a great game that was. Those are two good boys teams. Uh, a lot of good athletes on each of those teams. You know, we know how good Cheney was in, in football this year. I think those both of those teams, Sterling, of course, in a loaded Sterling substate. They're in there with with Inman and Mound Ridge and Berean Academy and and Trinity Catholics off to a good start. Ellenwood is is fantastic. I I, I think uh, Cheney is in that Haven substate as well. I think the Cheney boys I think are going to kind of be sneaky good as the Sterling boys will. As yeah, the Sterling boys. I mean, they're, they're, you talk about good the substate is. They're four and two right now, and that would that that, that would send them on the road in the first round. Oh so that's goodness. how good that, that that's how good that subset is, and of course they've been pretty well tested. You know, playing Haven and Cheney, and they also had an overtime win over Five A Great Bend. Uh, so Sterling, you know, it's another good team. Of course, they've also played Hillsboro so far. So, and they started out with Inman coming out right after the holidays. So I'm not sure if they got the Jayhawks after that, but it certainly feels like it. Yeah, the girls side of that Sterling substate, Breen Academy sitting there, uh, five and zero. Oh, um, Remington 4-0, Ellenwood surprisingly uh, 4-2, then a lot of teams just, just under 500, but I don't know why we'd be surprised uh, that Breen Academy has, has another really good girls team this year. Well, nobody really preaches defense, and teams execute defense as well as uh, Lewis uh, Weeby's team. Uh, he, well, he's not the, he's the boys coach, right? Who They got the, yeah. on the – Girls, uh, Kristen Weeby, isn't it? There, there you go. There you go. I knew it was still, yeah, Lewis is on the boys' side, but uh, definitely both teams, uh, they, they really emphasize defense. And every time you, you turn around and you look at the, their scores, they're winning, you know, I, I look at this here 34 to 30, 38 to 27, 45 42. I just love how these Berean Academy teams, year after year, just get after it defensively. Yeah, we slide into 1A, looking at some of the girls' uh, standings. How about the Little River sub-state, Brad? The Little River girls, I believe they're ranked number one right now. Um, their closest game, let me see here. Their closest game was a really tight one against Central Christian, 51-45. Everything else has just been a blowout city 
and they're they're six and zero, and they've got a ton of height. I think their whole key is uh, can they get that consistent guard play, especially if they get pressured. Um, that, but I think Little River certainly right now um, shining above everybody else right now in that sub-state. Well, let's see. They got Pretty Prairie in that sub-state. Defending state champion, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct. 5-0. and oh, And then their Central Plains is in there. They're, and they they're, they're, they're not bad. 3-2. and two, And St. John's 3-3. Three and three. Actually, Fairfield's 4-1. and one. Yeah, Central Plains has won, what, how many state titles in a row? Like seven? Does that sound uh, right? Something like that. I was going to pull up. They, they have played a tough schedule, Brad. Uh, I got Central Plains' schedule. They played uh, Berean Academy, who they lost to. They beat Plainville and Floyd St. John's Tipton. They lost to a really good Phillipsburg team and then beat a pretty pretty decent St. John team for, for them to be three and two. So I would I would certainly would never, never dismiss them. They've, they, they've played a tough schedule. Yeah, and you mentioned Fairfield. From uh, they're four and one so far. From what I've heard, I work with a guy who uh, went to Fairfield. Uh, they're they're pretty legit this year. I've heard they got some guard play that can really uh, that can really uh, you know shoot it and, and score some points. I mean, you know they've scored over fifty points three times this year. So, gosh, I mean when, when you've got two defending state champions in there plus Little River, <laughs> I mean my goodness, I mean uh, just just getting out of that sub state. I mean make, making it to the finals is going to be hard. It is. Um, that's. That's pretty amazing, uh, but h- how neat would that be to talk about a, a Fairfield team um, being a significant factor in, in, in sub-state and postseason play? Because it's been a little while for either boys or girls or their football team that, that we've talked about that. How, how great of a story would that be? Yeah, it would be a good story. Uh, I know that Fairfield girls, have they, they, they've had some decent teams in the, you know, what, the last decade or so, Scott. But it seems like that usually what happens, they'll get off to like a, you know a seven and one start. Then their schedule kind of takes over. They hit that midseason tournament, and they're just uh, you know they're just kind of overwhelmed. Then they'll limp to an eleven and nine finish, maybe get a sub state win. But uh, from again, from what I've heard, I mean, they only lost to Pretty Prairie by eleven. So from what I've heard, they they they, they this is a good Fairfield team. Uh, on the boys' side, how about the Maxville boys, Brad? They they had a really good uh, football season. They're out to a six and zero start. Just beat a pretty good Stafford team last week um, in that same sub state. The Little River boys are are three and two, a decent start. And the Skyline in there, they have had some sneaky good teams. They're four and two, but Maxville boy, I think I think they could be a force. They they've got some size. Um, they they've got a really nice team. Well, they've been kind of had it going on. I think uh, well, Cuckleman's the coach. Does that sound right? That sounds right. Yep. Yeah, and uh, and you know they they've uh, they really haven't been challenged yet this year. And you know they beat Stafford by fourteen. I know Stafford's good this year, and uh, they've also put a hurting on some programs that are traditionally good, like uh, Nest City and Central Christian out of Hutch. So uh, they beat Hoisington, uh, usually another good team by by twenty one points. So. Mm-hmm. Definitely been a good start for Maxville. Uh, definitely have the look of a team that uh, could be playing well into March. Well, we get down a little bit further here in 1A Division One. I'm looking at the Solomon Substate and Canton Galva Boys, 5-2. and two, And right behind them, somebody I know you and I both love, uh, Zach Goodrich's Lyria Christian team is 4-2. and two. Um, We know about the athletes there at central or excuse me at canton galva what do you think about the the eagles i'm looking at there and they did lose to um Elyria christian um on their schedule what do you think how how good do you think the canton galva boys can be well 
I I I I haven't seen them, and so I don't I don't want to this I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but they're probably football guy you know football guys playing basketball you know good athletes who are playing basketball so they're, they're going to win their share of games just because they're so darn athletic right mm-hmm. uh, you know I, what what does that mean when they maybe run into a team that's maybe you know like Mound Ridge we saw they lost by uh, or that was uh, Illyria that lost uh, to. To uh, to Moundridge, but looking at the Canton Galway schedule, they they lost to Laria, they lost to Lions in a, in a fairly competitive game. So you know, I, I don't know what that means uh, overall because they're just so stinking athletic that they're going to just overwhelm teams with their athleticism. So uh, they, they'll, they'll win their share of games. Yeah, that'll be an interesting. I said it's it's a very balanced um, substate that will be on very interesting to watch. And let me look. Uh, can't remember how many area teams we have actually in division two. Let me bring that up. Um, a lot of that would be in Burton. We talked about central Christian. Um, see girls if I got are good. Central Christian girl. The boys are just two and four. Let's talk about the central Christian girls. They, they, uh, we mentioned, I think, uh, gave little river their closest game so far. Yeah. I mean, coach DJ Kaufman. I mean, what, first of all, what a great guy, big chiefs fan, great guy. And his daughter's a very good player. And, um, you know, he's really established a program there that routinely makes it to the state tournaments and, and competes at the state tournament. It seems like that they usually on that last day that they're playing uh, for a trophy. So they're uh, I don't anticipate Central Christian uh, stepping down much this year. They're going to be really, really good. Unless, as you point out, they gave Little River a pretty good game. Yeah, they did. Uh, they, they just they've just been really, really solid. Um, for several years now, we, we talked about the Stafford boys that they, they get shipped out uh they're in the ransom western plain substate they're three and two you know they've got a pretty pretty solid team and we talk about uh cunningham you know the six-man football state champions they're out to a four and two start they're in the south barber sub substate pretty well balanced there's four and one south central four and three uh south barber what, what do you think about cunningham do you think again that's um, a lot of good football athletes that are playing basketball yeah I, I would say so and i know that cunningham uh you know it's a group of guys that they, they've done a lot of winning haven't they i mean maybe just uh, it, it might be football but you know let's be honest especially at the smaller classifications that carries over into basketball and, and into spring sports we've seen it with little river right so i think that this uh i, I do think that cunningham uh you know I, like you said four and two tough substate though you know with south barber attic is usually pretty good as well so that, that that's uh, that's gonna be a pretty good substate pretty competitive yeah, I'm looking on that girls' side. We already talked Central Christian five and one. Did you look at their substate, Brad? Central it's, Christians. Yeah, it's Wakefield's is right now in second at two and four. Center Lost Springs is one and six, and Burton South Cloud and Peabody Burns are winless. Yeah, on one hand, you know we already talked about what that uh, Little River girls' substate is, and uh, boy, I, I'm sure Coach uh, he would never say it, and uh, for obvious reasons. But if I was the coach, I'd be turning cartwheels with that one. Well, they certainly look head head and shoulders above everybody else. I mean, you have to guard against that um, when you get to that point, uh, looking past anybody. But right now, it looks like they are certainly uh, the the class of that. And how about uh, how about the Wilson girls, Brad? We don't typically don't see them. We know a number of years back um, they had some really good teams. They're out to a five and zero start. They're in that Western Plains. Substate and currently two and three Pawnee Heights is second and one and three Chase and then you got three 
0-5 teams. It's been a long time since we talked. And, Brad, this is their last year as Wilson High School as well. They're, they're getting um, combined in with Central Plains. Oh, really? I, I did not hear about that. Wilson is going to be co- – are they going to be co-oping or is the school districts combining? They're – I think it's one of those forced combinations. It's a pretty <laughs> – if you're around any Wilson people, it, it's, a, it's a topic to steer clear of. Let me put it that way. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I know that the Wilson – has a uh, you know it's just kind of out there on I seventy. It's probably taken a population hit through the years. I know they've got uh, one of the smaller uh, classifications for football. So wow, I, I did not know that. So that, boy, you're just going to take a uh, pretty darn good Central Plains program and make it, make it even better. Yeah, that that would that would be neat to see them have a um, a really good year um, in their in their final season. Um, competing as Wilson High School. Um, so again, uh, the schedule will pick back up in the first week of January on Ad Astra and across the state. I think everybody, I don't know if anybody is playing tomorrow night. None of our area teams are playing tomorrow night. Are you, are you aware of any games in the area tomorrow night? Other than Hutchinson, it looked like Little River was playing Harrington maybe. Okay. But uh, yeah, very kind of a sporadic schedule, and I'm sure we'll probably – uh, after the new year, what that January 2nd, or well, I guess it would be January 3rd would be that Tuesday, I think. So probably same kind of thing, probably pretty sporadic until that, until that following Friday. That Friday. Yeah, most likely. But again, we'll have that schedule posted up probably sometime um, next week for that first week of January. Well, the Sterling college men and women, Brad, since we last recorded, they played their final uh, game before the, the Christmas break, they're both going to play on December 31st. We'll talk about that in a minute. They, they made the trip over to Kansas Wesleyan um, last Tuesday evening. And, Brad, it was the game I've been waiting to see from the Lady Warriors that night as they came out uh, in that first quarter. They got out to an 11 to nothing lead, and the first basket by Kansas Wesleyan came at the 335 mark of the first quarter. And the closest it was after that point was 10 points. Uh, the, the Lady Warrior, they got it. It looked like last season and the season before, Brad, they were, they were getting out. They were getting those passes ahead for layups. They were going up and down the floor. And we knew it could be because they were the two highest scoring teams in the conference. But most teams try to play half court against Sterling. Kansas Westland did not, at least last Tuesday. It was a bad idea. And like I said, Sterling was never threatened. They led by, I think, 20, 26 or 27 at one point till they started, uh, pulled all the starters in the fourth quarter. Um, it was just pretty to watch. Bailey Albright, 19 points. Carson Schultz, Brad, the D2 transfer from Emporia State, she is she has come into her own on this team. 19 points, 13 rebounds, uh, double-double for her. Bethany Stuckey, 12 points. Corinne Clayson coming back off of that ankle sprain. She's looking like the Corinne of last year. And they just went out and whipped Kansas Westland on their home floor, running the floor. And, you know, they had 14 turnovers. You'll live with some of those just because they were trying to continually to push the pace and it, 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 was, it was fun to watch. They end up winning by 19. Really wasn't that close. Well, they shot the three balls pretty well, five out of nine. They shot free throws well, 13 out of 15. 
They easily won the rebounding battle, 45-36. They held K-Dub to 33% shooting, and they turned him over 16 times, of which uh, 11 were steals. So they're getting out in transition quite a bit. Uh, the, the thing that probably impresses me most about this game, Scott, and I know that the, the schedule hasn't uh, been easy for them lately, but if you look at the three games prior to that, uh, you know, they, they beat one at Bethany by two. Great win. Then they go to, to Bethel, win by tw- uh, win by 12, and then they had a two-point win over Friends. So, you know, this was kind of the rugged part of their schedule, and they finally just kind of took it out on, on all these close games and just – it just all, all came together. It's kind, of, kind of we. It's kind of like you said. Maybe it's the first time we've really seen in, in KCAC playing anyway, what really they're capable of doing. Yeah, I, I think the chemist the chemistry continues to build. I, I still think um, one of the Achilles heels is foul trouble. They they still have a fairly short bench. They're trying to play on a regular basis. They're playing seven. Um, actually eight players probably most of the time right at this point um they don't tend to go much deeper unless they need to but i mean it's it's a revolving win, um, turnstile at that scores table i mean there are girls going in and out to keep everybody fresh but yeah that that was fun to watch and i think that's that's a great one to go into the break on to just kind of feel like you're really starting to put it together and they've got a tough one I was already looking into this. I won't be at this one, but um, December 31st, they're going to go down to Oklahoma and play number 25, Mid-America Christian. So, um, And they're currently, Sterling is number 16. That, that's going to be a tough game, but I like them getting a non-con in before they jump back into the conference schedule. Right, and that's uh, something I know that some when, when you play that split schedule, you know, where you kind of start with conference play on the one side of Christmas and then you continue the other side, uh, it, it's, it's ideal, I think, to try to get a game in before that. And you can do scrimmages and whatnot, but it's not quite the same. I think, and it's not just any game, like you said, they're playing a ranked team right there. So Sterling, they're 10-3, and 7-1. and one. They're uh, in first by one game, uh, friends and – uh bethany and uh let me think i gotta let me bring up the the standings i know there's everybody that's behind them with two losses they have beat and Tabor, brad already with uh three losses on their um their schedule so um to say that that was that was a big, big win. That that's an understatement. I'm trying having some problems here um, bringing the standings up. So let me see if I can get rid of this page. I'll be in great shape. All right, there we go. Let me get the uh, most current standings up for women's basketball. And here we go. Yeah, Bethany seven and two, which I guess uh, they've not had a buy so they are technically a half game with kansas wesleyan at six and two friends and Tabor already with three losses ottawa probably the surprise team at six and three but to to, to have a, a game lead and wins over the two teams right behind you that that's just huge going going into the second semester well, nobody ever wins the conference in november or december i mean yeah Tabor got the got the lady warriors there right but you know, you don't win 
the conference for one win, you know, no matter how big of a win it is. It's it's all about consistency week to week or game to game. And the, no one has done that better than the Basset Hounds, right? Correct. Yeah. And the, and it's just it's a hard one. The middle of the conference is, is, is better this year. So it's again, it's a marathon. It's the unbalanced schedule this year. You're not going to play 24. I believe you play 22 games. So Sterling would have a 14 second semester conference games coming up after the break. Now, the men, on the other hand, Brad, after the, the really nice wins the previous week, they laid a stinker out there uh, last Tuesday, just getting blown out 81 to 54 against probably the sec, maybe the second or third best team in the conference. Kansas Wesleyan's really good, but when you shoot 26% in the first half, you're, you're, you're going to have trouble. And they just, I, I don't know that they played that poorly. It just, nothing would go in and then you tend to start forcing things and it just kind of, it snowballed big time on them. Yeah. And you have games like that, Scott, where you just don't, uh, you know, you just aren't able to score. And, you know, the question is that when you aren't able to score, you know, what else can you do? You know, do you have the talent to, you have the depth, do you have the uh, defensive ability to stay in the game and, you know, Kansas Wesleyan 10 and one, definitely no shame in losing to them. And, you know, different game. You know, you're not going to shoot that poorly every game. So maybe next time you play him, if you do, uh, you know, maybe you shoot up to, you know, in the upper 40s. And this time it's a different game. And you know, I look at some other things, you know, 18 turnovers to just five assists. You know, they, they definitely weren't uh, moving the ball as well as they, maybe they're capable of doing. Uh, but they did rebound pretty well. So they had 43 rebounds, uh, 46 for Kansas Wesleyan. So a lot of shots went off in that game. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to have nights like that. And the question is, when you aren't putting the ball in the hole, what else can you do to stay in the game? Yeah, that puts them there tied for sixth place right now with uh, York right in the middle of the pack. Um, yeah, and I think Coach Stang, he, he had a really, really good perspective of it. You know, they're seven and six, uh, four and four, 500 in the conference. He kind of, you know, kind of took stock. He said, you know, we're not – we're not satisfied with where we're at, but he says you got to be happy with the effort and certainly the uh, the vast improvement um, from last year at this point. So I think I brought up the uh, the example of KU football, Brad. If you would have told us, you know, we've, we've talked about this before, and we're going to get to KU here in a minute. If you told us KU football, they're going to be six and six and playing in the Liberty Bowl. At the beginning of September, you and I would have jumped on on that and said, we will take it. And I think it's similar to the Sterling men. If you told us at Christmas, hey, you're going to be seven and six, four and four in the KCAC, we would have jumped all over that. Now, of course, we've seen what how they can play. So expectations have been raised. But I think that's a, that's a good place to be. Right. And yeah, when the expectations are higher and look, look going into the season, they could have been much lower. Right. They won two games last year. So yeah. They, uh, the fact that they're seven and six and four and four going into the holidays, and like the women, they will get a, a pre restart conference, uh, non conference game against Central Christian on New Year's Eve. So, uh, d- definitely a good thing to get that. And, you know, like you said, some tra- uh, some guys might be playing after the holidays. And, uh, you know, the expectations have changed. I think that's a good thing. I, I, I don't think there's any thing wrong with uh thinking that this team if uh, th- there's going to be some dips and some valleys but there goes there's gonna be some high points and i think if they could finish in the top eight in the kcac this year i think that would be a, a tremendous accomplishment and a couple three guys um supposed to be eligible um he, that he could bring into the mix in the second semester so that's also uh, another good thing and again um 
I'll have that game on 95-9 on December 31st. It's in Sterling against uh, Central Christian um, at 140 pregame and 2 o'clock tip. And uh, Coach Stang, he did say, uh, and you'll have to fill me in on this later, he, he said, now that I know you do a podcast with Donovan, I might have to limit what else. <laughs> so, uh, I'm sure there's a good inside story on that. Oh, yeah. No, uh, Steve Carpenter at, at the JUCO, we've always been um... – Charlie Donovan and Lou Brown from Major League, we just kind of uh, dubbed each other that. And and Randy was kind of one year, he's like, hey, who, who am I then? And we kind of like, well, I guess you're Pepper then. So we, we started calling them Pepper after that. Okay. <laughs> no, no better movie to say. <laughs> Side story about the Major League. So um, that's the Warriors. And again, they'll be back in action on December 31st. Well, the uh, KU basketball men's team, Brad, they pummeled Indiana this past weekend, eighty-four to sixty-two, to improve to to ten and one. They ended up with six players in double figures in that game. And oh, by the way, Grady Dick is pretty darn good as a freshman. Twenty points and six rebounds. The Jayhawks do play again this week. They're at home against Harvard, but I think I. I I read a couple articles. I did get to watch some of the second half of this ball game. Um, KU's playing some really good basketball here in their last couple of wins. They're looking like, as is the expectation of one of those national title significant contenders once again. And it's it's amazing how, how good that freshman Grady Dick is. Is he the best freshman? Like, like not potentially. Like you know, Joel Embiid obviously is turned into to some an otherworldly kind of uh, basketball player. But just taking a freshman for Westworth is Grady Dick the best freshman, maybe with the exception of Andrew Wiggins that we've seen. Wow, the fast start he's gotten off to. I'm gonna have to go with yes. I mean, were these other guys putting up these kind of numbers in the first semester? I mean, maybe their- maybe Wiggins. I, I I'd have to go back and compare it, but. At this point, Scott, it almost makes me sad to say, but we better enjoy this because uh, he may not be playing for KU for very long. Uh, he may not. I'm trying to remember how good Danny Manning was back in the day as a freshman. I, I, it wasn't it wasn't this level, I don't think. Yeah, I'd be surprised if he was putting up these kind of numbers. I mean, and, and the thing is, it's not like the Jokes don't have other options. I mean, Jalen Wilson's, you know, oh. National Player of the Year caliber kind of guy right now. Kevin McCullers playing pretty good basketball. They got some other guys who are pretty good. And, you know, the fact that Dick is coming, I mean, his, I can't remember the last time KU had a player. Maybe if you go back to the, to the March Malik Newman, where this went off in that, uh, was a 2018. Jocks made the final four and he had that he was the MVP of the regional and just had an incredible game against Duke but I cannot remember the last time KU had a shooter where when he shoots a three-pointer you expect it to go in yeah <laughs> you really do uh they they're looking really really good that's a sneaky uh tough game Harvard uh yep. always a good school out of the Ivy League you know they'll be very disciplined um they've had some really good NCAA NCAA tournaments here in recent memory. So that's a, a, a sneaky tough game coming up this week for the Jayhawks. And there was another really special moment in this game, Brad, is before it ever started, um, Dick Vitale, we know that the, the, the struggles he's been through in the last year with uh, 
cancer treatments, and it looks like he's beaten that back successfully right now. He was unable to do any play-by-play, um, very limited last fall and no- nothing um, in the the spring semester last year. He was there for commentary, and the I think to the man, everyone – KU and Indiana fans alike gave him a standing ovation. It brought him to tears in the pregame. The thing about Dick Vitale that I think we can all agree on, there's several things actually here. First of all, from what I know about Dick Vitale, he is the same kind of guy away from the microphone, away from basketball as he is in real life. I mean, he's the same guy, that you, pretty much the guy you would expect him to be is who he is. You know, yeah. just enthusiastic and just a contagious kind of enthusiasm. And the thing is, is I know that people think that he's maybe a little over-exuberant, but you know what I say? I say that it's coming from an honest place. Dick Vitale loves college basketball, and there's very few commentators that I can think of through the years that are synonymous with one sport. Dick Mm -hmm. Vitale's college basketball. Uh, You had what's-his-face from the Dodgers uh, for baseball. Oh, gosh, this is embarrassing. Who was that, Scott? Uh, Not Vince Scully? Yeah, Vince Scully. Thank you. Gosh, dang it. Uh, yeah, Vince Scully f- with, with baseball. You know, Andreas Cantor with soccer, the, the guy who screams goal every time that there's a goal. Uh, there's very few people like that, and Dick Vitale's in that class. Yeah, he, he, if you, I don't think he's done it for a while, but he used to uh, speak to the McDonald's All-Americans when they were having their camp. Did you ever get to see those speeches that he gave years ago? I did not. He would give a speech to them about um, staying clean, staying away from drugs, and it was one of the most passionate speeches. He would be in a full body sweat. And he was he was so genuine about this, Brad. He literally he cares about these kids' future. He wants them, they have a great talent. He doesn't want them to screw it up with something as trivial as alcohol or drugs. And I mean, he was he laid it all out there for him. And it, it was I used to love to watch those speeches because it was heartfelt. He really cares about those kids. Yeah, he does. And he cares about college basketball and he cares about what he does. Uh, I mean, there's, there's just few people that have an in, have had an impact on a sport from a broadcaster's perspective as Dick Vitale, you know, even going back to the Jimmy V classic and the impact that he's had on the V foundation, uh, you know, the, the impact that Dick Vitale has had on college basketball cannot, cannot be measured. I'm so glad he's back behind the mic doing what he loves to do. And, you know, Hey, when, when he's at, when he's in the, do you really think he was going to miss out on a Kansas, Indiana game? I mean, that was just so cool to see. It, it was, it's, it's glad to see him um, back healthy and, and, and doing what, what he loves and what people um, love to see him do. Well, uh, KU for uh Maybe one week um, this week, Brad, they're going to dominate the headlines from the basketball team as it's Liberty Bowl time coming up on December 28th, 4.30 kickoff. It's KU and Arkansas. You know, KU got out to that 5-0 uh, and start, kind of struggled to the, to the finish line with injuries and everything. But I think that's the, the good part about waiting for that bowl game for – Mm, that's going to be probably what four weeks since they've played at least when the Liberty bowl comes around. But I think that also gives them the opportunity to have a hundred percent Jalen Daniels. Maybe the defense will be a hundred percent. And I guess my expectations of this, Brad, I just want to see them go out there and, and have the kind of offense that we saw that was so polarizing 
in the, that five-game win streak to start the year, get Jan, Daniels out on the edge with the run-pass option and sets the, the imagination they had. I think that's what I want to see. Win or lose, it's been a fantastic season, but wouldn't that be great to see them in, end up seven and six and, and haul home a Liberty Bowl trophy? Yeah, it would be. I actually pretty optimistic about the health of uh, the Jayhawks. I know they were really banged up after that 5-0 start. And uh, uh, the time off is going to be very beneficial. Of course, they get another month of practice and all that. And, you know, Lance Leipold right now, I mean, he's not just getting ready for the pretty bull, man. He's he, he's hitting the recruiting pretty hard. I don't know if you saw this, but a kid from Eudora, who, of course, a player from Eudora had to Arkansas, has slipped to Kansas now. He's he's getting it done right now. He's keeping some, trying to get those in-state kids to, stay, to, to consider Kansas. He's doing well in the transfer portal as well. And I, I'm I'm excited for the Liberty Bowl. I I the Jocks are going to come out ready for this one. I think they are too. It's going to be. It's just it, it, to be excited about KU football postseason. Um, you know, it's been a while. <laughs> <laughs> for kids, man, I mean, it was the year. The last time was the year after the Orange Bowl, which would have been well, two thousand and eight. That was the Orange Bowl, and then their following bowl was played before the New Year. So, uh, fourteen years uh, this fall. It's about the same time they played. So, uh, I tell you what, it's uh, it's overdue. And again, everybody, tune in four thirty on December twenty eighth. Ku and Arkansas. Well, since we last talked, Brad, there was another football national championship decided. This one was in the JUCO ranks and uh, kind of a big thud that night could be heard in Hutchison, Brad, as the the Blue Dragons didn't have the magic this time against the Reavers as Iowa Western just really went out and dominated the national title game last Wednesday evening, 31 to nothing. Over Hutch, I know you, you made the trip down there with some students. So, uh, boy, uh, 15 carries, 13 yards for Ketsier and um, Libel running for his life most of the night. Um, Hutch putting the ball on the ground. Just it was just a it was one of those nights you just hated to see for it, it to cloud up such a great season that Hutch had. Yeah, it really was unfortunate. I mean, just to go out and just lay a stinker like that in the championship game after playing so well the entire season. Uh, I mean, heck, they beat Iowa Western in Iowa earlier this year. So it's not like that they, you know, weren't familiar with this team or anything like that. Uh, and, of course, in the semifinals, they clobbered Coffeyville. And going into the playoffs, I'm not sure, except for Hutch, anybody was playing better than Coffeyville nationally. They had beaten Iowa. They, they had clobbered Iowa Western. So to see them, see the Blue Dragons come out is just really unfortunate. I mean, the first drive for me was, uh, you know, the, it was third and I think I was trying to third and four, and they ran the option which they really struggled to to stop. And the they, you know they barely got it by like a half yard or something like that. Then they run another play and they get two yards and and you know it's just kind of starting out very basic. You know, nothing to be alarmed about. Then they throw a screen pass and Andre Goodman takes it to the house, sixty eight yards, and you're like, wow. Well, okay, let's let's answer. Well, the Dragons move it across midfield. You know, they they get a first down. They're just across midfield, and then a botch snap on a uh, a botch snap happened, and just what was I think second and seven all of a sudden uh, becomes third and you know forever. And uh, that it, it, I hate to say it, but pretty much from that point, it was it was pretty much over from that point. You know, Iowa Western went down and scored easily again. It's fourteen nothing before fans have even gotten a chance to warm up. 
Yeah, I, I got in. We had the Ad Astra Christmas party that night. I got in on about the middle of the third quarter when I got home. I brought up ESPNU, and it didn't get any better from there. I ended up not even quite finishing the game. It, it was 31 nothing when I went to bed. That was the final. Um, fantastic season for Hutch. I know this is going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. What what? Looking forward, I know they're going to lose a lot of key players, but we know that that, that that's Juco football. You know, you got them a couple, maybe three years at most, and then you have to you have to reload. So I, I think Coach Dallas has certainly got his work cut out for him, but um, I think they could get themselves back in this position. Yeah, a lot of good defensive players that will be back. Uh, Tasheen Jackson was a very good player. He's a sophomore, unfortunately, but I know Javar Strong, a very good defensive back, although he could leave if he wanted to. Uh, he, he still has three years of eligibility, but he was a COVID guy, so he could leave if he wanted to. Uh, very impressive uh, defensive back, tall guy. Um, Ontario Smith was another very good defensive back. He was a uh, another freshman. Walter Bob Jr., a talented defensive lineman from uh, Louisiana, five-star prospect, uh, committed to Alabama, uh, came up to Hutch, and he really came on late especially, so uh, – Definitely a lot of good, a lot of good players are, are going to be moving on, but like you said, I mean that's kind of the uh, that's the nature of junior college football. You're going to be losing them, you know, about half your team pretty much every year. Yeah, I'm so great, great hut season didn't end like we'd all hoped for, but still, uh, we will keep tabs on their off season moves. Um, see if they get some kids in maybe for spring ball. Um, that's always huge for schools at any level if they can get some transfers in at the semester but again a great season for the blue dragons also in college football brad uh, we hadn't really ever talked about this i, I watched some of the uh, i think it was called the cricket bowl or uh, this past weekend of course that was Deion sanders team jackson state was playing uh, north carolina central jackson state ended up suffering their first loss of the season and of course um, Deion Sanders' final game, he's going to be the new Colorado Buffalo head coach for, well, right now, moving forward into next season. But I think somebody, I read in a good article about what Dion has done in two years for the HBCU colleges and Jackson State in particular. And I think college football as a whole, I think we may have drastically underestimated what he has done in just two seasons, raising the national level of play and awareness of how good some of these HBCU colleges are and the talent level. Um, they, they went through some of the, of the Jackson State um, players that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, of course. Uh, maybe one of the most – Famous, of course, was uh, Walter Sweetness Payton played at Jackson State. But I think we've really underestimated the impact that Deion Sanders has had in a good way on HBCU colleges and college football as a whole. Yeah, we'll definitely see what he can do at the uh, FBS level now with Colorado, uh, one of the sad sack programs of FBS. And uh, I, I, I actually... You know how they often say, oh, this coach is a home run hire or they're gonna, he's going to do well. Well, it's always easy to say that before they coach a single game. I think Deion Sanders is going to do well at Colorado. I, I really do. I think he's, he's, he's definitely elevated his profile in a short time. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that Colorado is going to be going to the national championship game here anytime soon or anything like that. But let, let's talk in two years. And if Colorado's not in the bowl game in two years, I'll be surprised. I, I'm with you. I mean, I think – 
obviously he's the splashy hire, but we've seen a lot of splashy hires of guys that can't coach at that level. I don't think that's the case with Dion. I think he's proven he's a good coach and obviously um, he's a good recruiter. Some of the, the talent that he brought in in just a couple years to Jackson state. I, I'm with you. I think, I think that's a great hire, but I, I, I think uh, we should, we should, we should applaud Dion for what he's done. He, he's, he's, he's raised that HBCU level to national awareness where it should be. And um, I'm very, very curious to see his future at Colorado. Uh, One other college sports uh, of note, Brad, we haven't talked a lot about Wichita state this year. Of course they're on 100.3 every, every game that they play. Um, They played one against um, Oklahoma state. Um, this past week, a uh, game in which Wichita State lost 59 to 49. But did you see the the mark that they set shooting three pointers in that game? And it's not the mark you want to have. Do I want to know? Yes, I do. <laughs> uh, they went after the past two games hitting a combined 26 three pointers, Brad. They shot 4.8% from the three point line. They hit one out of 21 against Oklahoma State and only lost by 10. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's one of those stats uh, where that's one of the few times you can say, you know what, I, I bet I could do better. <laughs> I, I, I think everybody was at a loss because it had been such a, a high point of the previous two games. And, and to say on their home floor they couldn't throw it in the ocean was an understatement. Yeah, and overall, I mean, even uh, two-point field goals, I think they were, let's see, 18 out of, uh, well, a little bit better, 31, so not not too bad. Uh, 10 out of 15 from the line, but, man, just one for 20. And, and it wasn't just like, you know, one guy was one for 15 and just couldn't throw into the ocean. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different players attempt a three-pointer, and only one went in. Oh, man. Uh, so the I, I can't put my finger on this WSU t- team this year brad sometimes they look pretty good and then they have a a game like this oklahoma state um will be tough down in stillwater of course they're eight and four um i can't can't figure out this wsu team they they appear like maybe they're underachieving a little bit i mean they had the they they had a couple i I don't want to say decent performances but you know they they lost to missouri in overtime but frankly they they blew that game they should have won that game they go to Manhattan. They only lost by five to, you know, a rebuilding. But, you know, a K-State team that could be decent this year. Uh, they don't really have any big wins. I, you know, they beat Richmond, who's not too bad, I guess. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they – I, I don't know. They's very inconsistent right now, game to game, and that's that's usually not the, not a good sign. Yeah, so uh, we'll keep tabs on Wichita State again right now. Six and six after that loss to Oklahoma State and uh, hopefully the three-point shooting will will, will come back um, to the Shockers in their next couple of games. Well, I know there's a, a topic before we get to the Chiefs, Brad, I'm sure you'd like to, to chime in on as the World Cup Finals. Boy, what a game that was. Argentina and France, it came down. It was a 3-3 tie, came all the way down. Two penalty kicks, Brad, and Argentina after Losing a game in the uh, pool play comes back all the way to win the World Cup. I'm, it was an I didn't get to see it. I, I know everybody that did said it was a fantastic championship game. Well, France didn't register a shot until the 70th minute, 
and they're down two nothing. And next thing you know, it's it's two to two. I mean, it was just uh, unbelievable. Kylian Mbappe is obviously going to is already one of the world's best players. Just twenty three. When it's all said and done, he could be having records set left and right. But to see what Leo Messi did, you know, winning himself a World Cup. I mean, I can't imagine. You know, in one of these soccer mad countries like Argentina, where Diego Maradona ran, you know, r- just ruled everything in Argentina. He won himself a World Cup in '86 for Argentina, and they constantly have that shadow, live, you know, seeking over you. Just essentially, everyone's saying, "You're great, Mr. Messi, but you're not Maradona because you haven't won a World Cup." Mm. And just to have that hanging over your entire career, and then just to exercise that. I mean, the, it was telling to me after they won the shootout that half of Argentina's players. We're just in a just hugging Messi, just a big group hug at midfield. Uh, to me, that was saying, "We didn't do it. You did it, Messi. You did this." So I, I, it was just really good. It was a great game, uh, boy. Mbappe, a hat trick and a loss. I mean, that, that that's hard to do for any kind of level of soccer, but to do that in the World Cup final, I mean, he he would trade obviously all three of those goals for a um, for what Messi had. Messi had two goals, but he also had the World Cup. Yeah. What do you think? Um, I read a little bit of one article on this. Overall, what do you think is going to be the the people remember about Qatar? There was all the political, uh, um, I'll be politically correct here, garbage um, that went on leading into this. There's the there's the corruption in the Qatar uh, government and stuff. What what do you think the the overall? Um, when people look back, what, what are they going to remember most about this World Cup at Qatar? For better or for worse, they'll remember the the, the quality of play, and it was a great, uh, great tournament. Obviously, uh, you know, for like I said, for better or for worse, uh, the the human rights violate or uh, record of Qatar is not exactly good. Uh, I don't want to say that Qatar covered themselves in glory hosting the World Cup. I just think it was a very good tournament. I don't think it mattered who hosted it; uh, they were. You could have had that tournament probably in in, uh, in a number of places, and it probably would have uh, had some great soccer. I, I don't think the, the caliber of competition had anything to do with where it was played. And I, but I do think that will be the legacy. You know, Morocco becoming the first African na- nation ever to make it to the semifinals. You know, Argentina winning the World Cup, and France bowing out gracefully in the finals. Uh, a lot of great storylines. The young Americans now, of course, uh, the all eyes are on them for twenty twenty six, as well as. Uh, Canada and Mexico. So that's, uh, that's good. I mean, I think, I hope that that's what um, people take away from that. I hope that just builds for them uh, in four years when it is on American soil and everybody can get excited about the world cup. Uh, well, let's move on Brad to the Kansas city chiefs who, well, for the second straight week, Brad, they, they kind of played another head scratcher as they, needed overtime to beat the one win Texans 30 to 24 yesterday in Houston. And and if you first start to just look at total yards and everything, you're sitting there wondering how in the world did this game almost, did they almost lose this game? Let alone how did they not have a huge lead in this game, having a 502 to 219 total yardage advantage. Let's, let's start with that. How was this game even close? Well, a couple of turnovers didn't help, and I think I saw that on one of Houston's scoring drives, the Chiefs committed five third-down penalties, <laughs> which all led to automatic first down. So 
they did not have a good day, obviously, pen- penalty-wise, although Carl Sheffers and his crew, longer conversation for a longer day, not a fan, I should say. But uh, he, he was the one who called the questionable hold on Eric Fisher in the playoff loss to the Steelers on the two-point conversion. That was good. So, uh, uh, But, again, longer conversation for a longer day. Uh, you know, Scott, the thing to me, the, the, the turnovers are obviously disappointing. Isaiah Pacheco had one. Uh, still had a good game other than that, though. He had uh, 86 yards on the ground. But you know what? You know, you know, you know what the one thing that to me that was disappointing more than anything else in this game, and that was when the Chiefs at the end of regulation are driving for the win. They Andy Reid essentially said, "We trust Harrison Bucker to win this game more than we trust Patrick Mahomes." Yeah, I, I to to me, I, I I don't understand that. Patrick Mahomes com- uh, going into overtime. I think I completed uh, sixteen straight passes or something like that. So he complete and he finished 36 out of 41 for 336, two touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, we're not going to say it was one of the best games of his career, but the Chiefs certainly don't win unless Mahomes is his, <laughs> his normal self. And for the life of me, I can't understand why a guy, uh, Harrison Bucker, who has not been very good this year, had already missed an extra point in this game. And then down the stretch, you're, you're going to trust him to make a 50, about a 50 yard field goal ahead of just saying, Patrick, get us as close as possible. If you score a touchdown, great. But if not, uh, let's just let's just make this as easy as possible for Bucker. I just can't for the life of me figure out why they thought having Bucker kick a long field goal to win the game was a good idea there. Yeah, it, it, taking the ball out of your best player's hand never seems like a logical choice coming down to the end of the game. You mentioned 10 penalties a, or for 102 yards. And the two fumbles lost certainly um, kept the Texans in it. Uh, you already mentioned Mahomes' numbers. Kelsey, 10 catches, 105 yards. I'm really starting to like this Jarek McKinnon, Brad. 122 total yards yesterday. Of course, he had the uh, the game-winning run after the Chiefs got the turnover on the Texans' first possession. Um, in the overtime, I'm really liking the weapon. He is becoming kind of as a third-down change of pace back he's a great receiver and um, that, that's something they're going to need moving forward and I wanted to get your thoughts a couple other areas I, I saw um, this come out I think this was on uh, Facebook where I saw it, and I don't know if this was through tweets or whatever did you see Dustin Colquitt's take on Harrison Butker's struggles where he believes some of the issues are coming from no I did not he said that it's uh uh their punter's name, Tommy. Tom, Tommy Townsend. Tommy Townsend. He pointed out a couple of the misses that he had, the extra point and the field goal, that the laces were sideways instead of straight forward away from Butker. And he says when the laces are like that, he was missing it in the direction the laces were turned. Hmm. He said that is on the holder. And this is, of course, Dustin Colquitt who held for – how many years for the Chiefs? Also, of course, um, was one of the best punters they've ever had. But that that was his take on he he's he's defending Harrison Butker that a lot of this is to do with improper positioning of the football. What do, what do you think about Dustin Colquitt's take on that? Well, I guess the next time I'm going to have to be watching to see where the laces are at. But uh, I mean, especially I think on anything more than a chip shot, I think the laces do have a have a play in that and. Uh, I mean, the extra point was just a wounded duck in the field goal that he missed at the end, never had a chance. So 
yeah, yeah, obviously the holder has there. There's a lot to be said about that. Um, you know, what's really kind of interesting, Scott, is my dad let me know, and I didn't see this or not, or I didn't see this metric, but the Chiefs ranked last in the NFL in special teams. Now, what they've taken into account, I don't know. But here's the funny thing about that is the Chiefs have, like, one of the best punters in the NFL. So how the hell do you get to be, like, one of the worst special teams? Basically, you have to be really bad in the other areas if you have such a great punter in Tommy Townsend. Yeah, uh, well, they haven't. I mean, you think about how many good punt kick returns they've had their kick coverage and stuff. I think that has to all go in there. I would not have thought it would have been um, dead last in the, in the league, but uh, some people will say, and I, I don't know if I'm, I, I buy completely into this. There, there's certain teams that will play to the level of their competition. Now, certainly the chiefs against the, the Broncos and now the Texans in two straight weeks have not played by any stretch, their best game. They did get the wins coming out of that. But how how dangerous is that, Brad? Is, is this a team that can flip a switch and and play to the level they're going to need to play to, probably even this week against Seattle, but especially when the playoffs get going, if they're staring at a, at a, at a Buffalo or a Cincinnati team um, that's likely going to be right in front of them in the playoffs? Well, they seem to be playing to the level of their competition, don't they? I mean, I just I, – I can't for the life of me can't figure out this should be the easiest part of their schedule. I mean, they're playing a decent Seattle team that's kind of in, uh, in the doldrums right now. Then they'll be playing uh, Denver with or without uh, Russell Wilson. We don't know because he was in concussion protocol last week. I'm going to guess he'll be back by then. And then you're playing a Raiders team that, frankly, is playing pretty well right now. And, heck, they could still be playing for something that last game of the season. So what was looking like a pretty easy end to, this, to the season – Based on how the Chiefs have played the last couple weeks, I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah, and, and they almost started the day in in the top seed because Buffalo had to have a late, late score to beat the Dolphins Saturday night. I was watching that game, and as the blizzard set in there in Buffalo, um, you know, Buffalo's got a tough tough close to the schedule. Well, you know, they, they, I think they've at the Bears, at the Bengals, host the Pats. Um, so that number one seed is still out there. But, yeah, I think right now it's a less of a worry if Buffalo's going to lose a game as if the Chiefs are going to lose a game because if they don't kick it in gear, there's a good chance they'll lose one of those remaining three games. If if they pl- if they repeat this performance two or three more times, I'd say they're going to lose one of those games. Yeah, I would agree. And, sadly, I think the most likely one would be the Raiders at the end of the season. I think you're just hoping at that point that the Raiders are not playing for anything because I think they've won, what, four out of five, and they won that, that circus game yesterday. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it definitely has – a you know, Chiefs fans are definitely uh, on edge right now. How about a Bill Belichick team losing like that to the Raiders yesterday on that lateral pass right to a defender? And then what an effort by the quarterback to make a tackle there, huh? I, I tell you, I was crying my eyes out for the Patriots over that one. Truly, I was. Oh, I'm sure everybody was, you know. And then to watch Bill Belichick have to answer questions about it. That was hilarious, too. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen quite an end to a game like that, but that was that was something. Um, but So the Chiefs, again, uh, they're going to play this Saturday. Um, against Seattle, I, I did not see the time on that. And there's there's a split schedule. There's quite a bit on Saturday and some on Sunday coming up 
this week in the NFL, but the Chiefs will be back home for two straight with Seattle, Denver, and then finish, as you mentioned, at the Raiders. Well, that is the gist of our regular topics, so we can move on to your final thoughts. All right, Scott. Well, I posted something on Facebook about this, so you probably had seen it, but you know, in the aftermath of the uh, Blue Dragons loss last week to Iowa Western, uh, I was it's, it's, it's pretty easy to turn emotions off when you're in full journalism mode because I actually figured, you know what, since I'm down here, I'll, I'll go ahead and write a game story for Ad Astra Radio's website, and I did. So, you know, I go down to the locker room with my students, trying to arrange some interviews, and I'm kind of in complete journalist mode right there, just kind of thinking, get my interviews, let's get the kids what they need, get their stuff, get back to the hotel so we can all start working, yada, yada, yada. And then um, the Blue Dragons' uh, number two quarterback, uh, Colin Shields, uh, emerged from uh, just outside the stadium where I think he was probably talking to some family. And uh, I've had Colin in many of my classes in many of my classes. He's a journalism uh, major. And so I've had him, in, you know, in several classes and I've gotten to know Colin pretty well. Great kid. And, um, you know, the, the, the pain in his eyes, he came at the, in at the very end and played a little bit. Uh, you know, it's so easy for us to for, to look at athletes and just kind of consider them idols or, you know, I don't know what the word is exactly, but just kind of, you know, that they're, you know, almost robotic, like, you know, they're, that they're machines kind of. And um, it just kind of hit me when I saw Colin go back to the locker room and I saw the, just the, the, the hurt in his eyes. And I called out to him and, uh, you know, kind of uh, called him over and, you know, we embraced and, you know, shared, shared a moment together. And, you know, it just, it just really hit me that, you know, gosh dang, I mean, these kids, they put so much time and effort into this. And I can't imagine what it was like for those guys, you know, to, you know, really be that close to a national championship and to be undefeated and do everything that they did so well this year, just just to see it end like that. And uh, you know, I've had you know, Javar Strong was another kid I had on the uh, in, in class. Uh, Jaheim Simmons was another one, and I, I didn't get a chance to see them after the game. But uh, it it just really it just really hits you when you see people that you know, you know, out there you know, playing. And uh, I think I said something that they, they never told me how attached you get to your students when you begin teaching. And uh, definitely uh, it, it was a tough moment, uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm, re- I'm really proud of Colin and everything that he's done, uh, not just uh, on the field, but in the classroom. He's, he's a bright student. I, I, I hope he finds himself a good spot. I know about a few offers that he's got and I hope he makes a good decision and uh, definitely wish him the best of luck next year. Cause uh, he, he's going to be, he, he's, he's someone special. He's someone special. I know that he's going to do well. Yeah, those are, those are tough moments. And I think the ones that um, take that moment, I, th- I think sometimes that kind of, of a loss in such a huge game can actually in the long run and the big scheme of things, help out a person even more in life of how to bounce back from a disappointment like that than actually have winning the championship. Of course, everybody wants to win that championship. And I'm not saying that you can't um, learn from that as well, but I, I think those young men will learn a, a great lesson in life from that. And that, that, that is tough. That's tough to watch, especially when, um, when you know the kids that are involved um, in the, in a, a game of that magnitude. Um, I go to a little bit different spot. I found an interesting story. You know, we like to talk about, and uh, we, sh- we should have a podcast about some of the, maybe the greatest athletes that um, you and I have ever seen at, at, you know, whatever level, and most of them end up being um, professional athletes. But I, th- I think one that we 
Uh, a lot of people remember, some don't, but when we talk about greatest athletes of all time, you, a lot of people will go back to Jim Thorpe. Um, of course, he was um, back in the early part of the um, 20th century, um, but he was in the Olympics in 1912. And I saw this story, and this just kind of solidifies him for me, Brad, as one of the greatest athletes ever. Um, he was getting ready for his events in the 19. 19- 12 Olympics when he uh, got up that morning was getting ready he realized that his shoes had been stolen <laughs> um you know this is back in the day you know you know today go well, somebody just go to their locker and get and then you know one of their other 10 pairs of shoes well that was the only pair of shoes that he had he managed to find in the trash two different shoes both and they were different sizes there was a picture of him wearing one black and one white shoe. One was bigger than the other. So he had two pairs of socks on to take up the difference in that um, shoe that was actually technically a little too big. And then he went out and won two gold medals. <laughs> I mean, who, who, who does that? I mean, you get shoes out of the trash, different sizes, different type, actually different makes of shoes just okay i'll just put on an extra pair of socks and oh by the way i'll go out and win two gold medals i mean it, it, was, it was just i was sitting there looking at that picture and just shaking my head that only jim thorpe and somebody back from that era could do that that's uh i i have heard that story before that's just absolutely just imagine you say <laughs> imagine you saying both shoes like falling apart he's like uh let's see what we can find the trash here or, or saying hey buddy you, you got some shoes i can wear i mean there, there would be someone from whoever company that he signed with would have a new pair to him within, you know, two minutes or whatever. So it's just, uh, it's so foreign to think that something like that could happen today because of one, it, uh, it just really puts it in perspective how great of an athlete he was. Yeah, he was, and uh, that I just, I got a chuckle out of that, and that's just kind of, that's just kind of the athlete he was. He, 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 he did more than may do, as again we mentioned, went out in mismatched shoes and won two gold medals. So again, that was the uh, podcast for today. We're going to have a week off for you. So I think it's going to be the new year when you get back and hear from us. So we want to wish all of our listeners out there a, a great Merry Christmas and a happy new year. And we'll be back. Um, everything will be back in full swing in the first week of January. And we'll be back to break it all down for you. But for tonight's View from the Press Box for Brad Hallier. This is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great holiday.